0: A couple of weeks ago, my daughter came home from school, and uh, like I'm finding is pretty normal, uh, and she was upset something at school had made her upset uh what i found out after i prodded and and tried to get her to talk and tried to get her to share is that uh, she and one of her friends had had a disagreement uh, we in my day would have called it a fight but to them it was just a disagreement uh, i'm finding uh, after a while after being a parent of a high school student uh, for a while that that is not an uncommon occurrence among ninth grade girls that they tend to have disagreements over things and uh, i prodded And she explained what was going on. Tried to ask her what what happened, what what was the crux of this disagreement. And she uh, tried to explain, and uh, I I listened as well as I possibly could. And she finally wrapped it all up with a summary statement by saying, "Dad, you don't understand this girl. She just has issues." And uh, now when she said issues, I, I, you know, I sat for a moment and thought, and then uh, being the sensitive father that I am, I started laughing. And uh, she got mad, and I laughed a little more, and she got more angry. And she said, why, what are you laughing for? What? What is so funny? I said, honey, do you not understand? You saying... A ninth grade girl has issues is crazy because all ninth grade girls, including you, have issues. I think that's part of the requirement for being a high school freshman. And uh, she got even more angry. And I said, The only thing that has more issues than a ninth grade girl is a ninth grade boy. Amen? Some of you have been there. I mean, to say that someone has issues, especially a high school student, uh, is kind of like saying you have a dysfunctional family, right? Uh, Who doesn't have a dysfunctional family? I'd like to meet that person. I, I grew up thinking that it was the dysfunction that made us family, right? If it wasn't dysfunctional, it wasn't a family. All of us have issues and all of us have different uh, issues that impact our lives on an everyday basis. And as we've been going through this series on faith and finding faith and being found faithful, we've been looking at different uh, Old Testament, New Testament characters and looking at their faith, examining their faith and taking practical life lessons away, lessons that we can apply to our everyday lives. And this morning, we want to look at someone that really did have issues and issues that you could know about and even worse issues that she probably didn't recognize but she had the faith to take those issues to jesus See, we've looked at popular characters in the Old Testament, popular characters in the New Testament. We've looked at people maybe you've never heard about before. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a character that we don't even know her name. We don't even know her story. We don't know where she came from. And as soon as she came onto the scene, she left the scene. But what we do know is that her story is included in in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all include her story because her faith can teach us some lessons this morning. Her courage, her her ability to trust Jesus when everything else failed can help give us some guidance. And I'm hoping it can teach you some lessons. I hope that God will speak to you about your faith as he is every week as we've studied this series. Because in reality, if we had to be honest this morning, uh, all of us have issues. Every one of us in this room Uh, have some issues matter of fact uh, an experiment turn to your neighbor and say I have issues now did you do it now let me ask you how hard is that to admit amen See, we can smile and we can say it laughingly, but if we had to be honest, all of us have issues in this room, and some of them are issues that we don't want to admit. Some of them are issues that we don't even admit to ourselves. Some of them are issues that we haven't got desperate enough about what the issue is doing to our life to deal with it, so we bury it down. But in reality, there are issues here. Some of us have family issues. Issues with a mother or a brother or a child. Uh, We have financial issues in this room. People that uh, are in debt, uh, below water. People that are struggling to make it. Struggling to, to get through providing for your family. We have people with emotional issues. Physical issues. Some have forgiveness issues. Some have anger issues this morning. Some even have spiritual issues. Some of you this morning are angry at God. Some of you have walked away from God. Some of you have been religious all your adult or all your teenage years. Been a member of a church and part of a church all your life. But you still have issues because you've never encountered Jesus and what he does to issues. Because you see the good news for us this morning. So no matter what your issue is. Whether you want to identify it or not. Whether you want to admit it or not. Jesus is in the issue business. See, Jesus specializes in people with issues. Matter of fact, I dare you to find somebody in the Bible who didn't have issues. Somebody in the Bible apart from Christ who didn't have one of those struggles that I talked about just a moment ago. But yet many of them found a way to give that issue to God and be found faithful. And this morning we're going to find someone who didn't even know what she was doing except going to Jesus. And Jesus didn't just take her physical issues. He took all of her issues on him. Because that's what he wants to do this morning. So as I get started, before we read this passage, let me just ask you this morning. That issue that you have the greatest thing that you're struggling with this morning, are you willing to let go of it? How desperate of you are you willing to let go and give it to Jesus this morning? How how willing are you to take your hands off of it? That issue in your marriage, that issue in your home, that issue at work. You see, I believe this morning Christ wants to set you free. He really is the healer. So if you have your Bible, you have your blue suit, let me introduce you to uh, the woman that had issues, um, Luke chapter 8. and we're going to read Luke's account since it's a medical issue that she had. Uh, Dr. Luke comes in handy here. And uh, this is also found in Matthew and Mark. Mark expands on the story a little. Luke gets it straight to the point. And Luke chapter 8, where we come to, let me give you a little background. Jesus has been teaching a while. He's he's gotten popular. He uh, is drawing crowds wherever He is. People are listening to Him. People are being healed. People are hearing His teaching. And they're telling other people. So they're crowding in around Jesus. And He's been teaching over and Gadara uh, which is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee and you may remember when he was in Gadara was when he cast the demons out of the man that was chained up in the, the cemetery and he cast them into the pigs and the pigs went off the cliff and we call that guy the Gadarean demoniac some versions call it their Gerasene uh, because that area was called Gerasene but Jesus has gotten the boat with his disciples and he sailed north on the Sea of Galilee towards his home area, towards Capernaum. And Capernaum sits in the region of Galilee, so it's a place where Jesus is popular. And they are anticipating him coming. From a ways off, people have seen that Jesus is coming to see them, to minister, and so word gets around Capernaum. And Capernaum is not a small town. Word gets around, and people all flock to the wars to see Jesus and his disciples as he comes. And so that's the context of where we are in chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because only his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, Jesus shows up, and before he can even get off the boat... This religious leader, Jairus, and now Jairus was the head of the synagogue in Capernaum, and that would be a big deal. Uh, Remember, the synagogue is the local worship. They all didn't go to the the temple. They all weren't able to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Galilee sits hours away, and so for them, each week to gather with God, they would gather in the synagogue. And this culture of Jewishness, uh, they would worship there. And so he was the leader. He was the ruler. He was the head of the synagogue, so he probably was wealthy. He probably was well-known, he probably was well-respected, but his daughter was dying. And when I say dying, I mean deathbed dying. And Jairus had gotten so desperate, so uh, upset, so uh, brokenhearted over his daughter's dying that he had gone to the boats to wait for Jesus to show up. And the moment Jesus got off, this rich, proud, religious man bowed on his face and begged Jesus to come to his house. Now you have to understand, that's a big deal. That would be like a president, a senator, uh, a well-known religious figure coming and bowing in front of a whole crowd, humbling themselves. That's how desperate Jairus was. His daughter was on her deathbed. Let's keep reading. It says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there that had been subject to bleeding. The... Uh, king james said she had an issue of blood for 12 years but no one could heal her she came up behind him remember jarius came up in front in front of the crowd bowed she crawled up is what the translation would be and touched the edge of his cloak the hem of his garment and immediately her bleeding stopped she was healed instantly jesus turned and said who touched me when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in against you. I, I love Peter. You know, he, he, I mean, you got crowds everywhere, and they're pressing in, and, and, and you know, they're, it's just a big crowd. They're hustling and bustling Jesus as he's, he is in a hurry to get to Jairus' house. You know, I'm sure Jairus and his family is pushing Jesus, Come this way, come this way. And, and there in the back, uh, this woman that no one sees crawls in between the crowd. She sneaks in, and she just clings to Jesus' hem of his garment. And as she does, Jesus says, wait a minute, stopped. Somebody touched me. And Jesus continues to say it because Peter turns around and goes, listen, Jesus, everybody touched you. Okay, that's what he's saying here. It's almost sarcastic saying, you're in a big crowd. Yes, sure, someone touched you. And Jesus said, no, this time it was different. Someone touched. And when he uses the word touch, he uses the Greek that means latched on. They didn't just brush up against me. They didn't just come in contact with me. They didn't just uh, go beside me. This time somebody reached out and they latched on to me. And I felt the Spirit go out of me into them and heal them. There's a couple of things that, as I was reading this this week, just jumped out to me. A couple of things that, uh, not just about the story, but about the setting of the story. The first is the crowd. Uh, you know, it's amazing, as later in Jesus' ministry, there always seemed to be a crowd around Jesus. But this is not the first time, and it's not the only time, that we see a crowd becoming a hindrance or a barrier from people getting to Jesus Remember the story of the paralytic boy that was paralyzed and he couldn't walk and his friends wanted to get him to Jesus, but they couldn't get him. So remember the story from Vacation Bible School? They lowered him down through the roof right there to Jesus' feet. Why? Because they couldn't get through the crowd. You remember the short tax collector that wanted to see what Jesus was all about? He ran around behind the crowd. I remember t- telling the story to a group of children. I said, you know, he was short, and he, I can see him looking over, but the, he couldn't see Jesus. He didn't even really know what Jesus was about. He was just desperate. He just wanted help. And he's, he's peeking over the crowd, and he can't see. So he goes, and he gets in a tree. And that's thank goodness Jesus stopped at the tree. But you see, what drew me to the idea of this crowd is that these people who were well-intentioned People who were excited about Jesus unintentionally kept people, hindered people from seeing Jesus, from interacting with Jesus, from touching Jesus. And you see, I think sometimes in the church, we play the role of that crowd. See, sometimes I'm not saying that you physically hold people back. I'm not saying you even intentionally get in someone's way, but unintentionally. With our words, with our actions, with our attitudes, with how we act at work or school or home, we unintentionally make it harder for people to come to Jesus. We unintentionally make it harder for people to see Jesus, because our words and our actions don't match up, or, or sometimes an attitude, and, and it turns people away. You see, my fear is that, that we've become the religious crowd. And there's a whole society around us a whole lost world that, that hear the echo, that, that have a spiritual hunger. The Bible says, uh, you know, people are empty and they have a hunger. Well, that goes exactly with what sociologists are saying today. Do you know that they're saying that this generation coming up, this unchurched generation everyone's talking about, that they are the most spiritually hungry of any generation by, by what they ask and what they fill out. They are searching for some kind of spiritual truth, something supernatural. And I wonder sometimes as that generation is seeking something supernatural, and we know that Jesus can fill that hole, that we inadvertently, because we're not paying attention, become a hindrance and make it much more difficult. Just a thought for somebody this morning the crowd. See, the second thing that jumped out to me was that Jesus stopped. I want you to think about this story. Jesus is running to a girl that's on her deathbed. Jesus is running to save someone that we don't know. Matter of fact, uh, if you keep reading the story, which we're not going to get into, she dies. And the crowd is pushing in. And I can imagine Jairus' family is, is saying, why is he stopping? Why is he stopping? But right there in the middle of that thoroughfare in Capernaum, as Jesus is going to save this little girl, he stops. See, you and I would call that an interruption. Maybe you and I, if we were being nice, would call it a distraction. But Jesus saw it as an opportunity. I want you to hear me in your spirit. You see, Jesus saw it as an opportunity because he didn't live his life as though everything was to get to the end. Remember I've told you before that we get so wrapped up in the finish that we miss the journey. So many Christians are, are, are so heaven focused. there's are no earthly good. Now that doesn't mean I don't think we should be excited about heaven and, and excited about what God has for us. But you see, being Christians should mean that we don't have to live worried about getting to the end because we know what the end holds. Therefore, we should be those that live in the moment of every moment but you see, today we are so rushed and, and it's so rushed by our schedules to get to, to the end and our to-do list and, and we're so disconnected because I don't think we go anywhere without a phone anymore. And usually if we have one free moment, we're touching our phone or putting it to our ear, playing with it or we've got something in our hands and we so disconnect from the world around us that all along God brings divine opportunities into our life and we don't see them. And when we do, we see them as distractions or we see them as interruptions. Instead of opportunities. See, listen to me. Think about what's going on. Jesus stopped everything and said, Somebody touched me. So I wonder how many opportunities you missed this week. Or how many chances you ran by. That waitress at the restaurant, that person in the grocery store, the post office co-worker in a cubicle the person in the cafeteria sitting at the end of the table from you friend that you came by and and even maybe even in here sometimes when we're going in and out between services people get wrapped up in trying to get in and out and we miss opportunities somebody stops you and, and they ask you something you see it as a distraction why because you're more focused on the finish than the journey and you're missing out on opportunities See, the greatest need people have in their life emotionally is to to be listened to. Do you know that? People rate it higher than love. Say, what's your greatest need? You know, you'd think you'd say, love. Someone to listen to me. And I wonder how many people we encountered this week that just needed somebody to listen to them. That we rushed by. Listen. That schedule, that to do list, that important project, that place that you have to go, guess what? At the end of the day, it's still there. But that opportunity will never come again. I especially want to tell you, parents. I know old parents always tell young parents it goes by like that. And it's easy to get wrapped up in life and living and, and doing and providing that we forget the small moments. But, but you know what happens, and I've been with so many people at the end of their lives, sat down and visited with so many people as they were making a transition, as Luke calls it. And you ask them, what was the most important thing in your life? They said it was the little moments. It was the moment I stopped to... Play catch, the moment I stopped to read a story, the moment I stopped to give a hug, the moment I stopped to listen. But you see, so many of us, unlike Jesus, we'd have missed that moment. We'd have rushed by it. We'd have run on. See, to everyone in that crowd, it was an interruption. Everyone stopped around there, it was a distraction. But to Jesus, it was an opportunity. And guess what? To that woman, it was a life-changing experience. You and I have the opportunity to minister, to touch, to listen, every day. You don't know how you might change someone's life forever. Opportunity or distraction. So what do we know about the woman? that was side notes. What do we know about this woman? We know she'd been bleeding. We don't know why. It was a female issue. We don't know if it was because she had a child and the bleeding never stopped. We don't know if it was because she was sick. Mark says it was a plague. But uh, in the Jewish culture, any type of open wound, any type of bleeding is considered a plague. We do know she had it for 12 years. I want you to think about this, 12 years. See, it's easy to read a story and get so wrapped up into it and so quickly rush by it, but the the text doesn't spell out what that meant for a Jewish woman. Now, Mark's gospel tells us that she had been seeking healing all 12 years, going to every doctor that promised anything. and She had given up all her money. She was completely broke. You see, because the most important thing was not just physically she had a bleeding issue. What was wrong was in the Jewish culture, she was considered unclean, according to the book of Leviticus. And to be considered unclean was a big deal. It meant you couldn't go to any public gathering. So for 12 years, this lady could not go to public gatherings. She couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple once a year with her family. She couldn't gather together at family birthdays or or just fun weekends together and meals that the family got together because she had to be away from them. She was unclean. So for 12 years, there was no corporate worship. There was no group activities. There was no family time. If you're considered unclean. You also are not allowed to touch anyone else. I want you to think about that. We don't know her story. We don't know if she had kids. No if she had a husband. He probably, the Jewish culture, he could have divorced her, but for twelve years she couldn't touch anybody. And no one could touch her. No hugs, no holding hands, no kiss on the cheek, no pat on the back. No picking up her child when the child was crying. No intimacy with a husband. Twelve years, think about that. Twelve long years. No cooking a meal alone. One commentator said that her life probably existed of sitting alone in a room by herself for twelve years. Now you see, we can read this story and say this woman had a physical problem. She did. But I promise you she had emotional problems. I promise you she was hurting. Can you imagine your family right there and you can't hug them? Birthday party going on outside, but you're inside. That all of society has a label for you. Unclean. And imagine the pain that she was going through. Jesus is walking to Jairus' house. She hears that he was coming to town. She crawls out from her house where she'd been alone. Broke. Probably depending on the welfare of others. And she sees the crowd and she sees that she can sneak up to Jesus. Now do you understand just being in that crowd was a death sentence for her? For an unclean person to mingle with clean people, they could be stoned. But she was so desperate. She was so hurting. She was so broken. Twelve years of this... I'm sure in her mind she said, this is it. It, it, This doesn't work and I don't care what they do to me. And so the crowd is going by and they're rushing to Jairus and she's crawling trying to get to Jesus and she sees Him up ahead. And I'm sure she hears people talking saying, this is Jesus. And in those days the Jewish men would wear prayer shawls and Jesus had a prayer shawl on and on the prayer shawl had a blue cord running through it to remind him of the Word and the power of the Word. But on each end there was tassels. And these tassels were hanging down. And so she reaches with all that she can and stretches and grabs a hold of that tassel. Some people say that she just flicked it. I think she grabbed a hold of it because the word there says she clung to it. And Jesus, I believe, with His prayer shawl on, He felt it both physically and spiritually. Because when she pulled that shawl, something stopped Him. Even in a crowd of jostling, and He felt something happen in the Spirit. And He stopped. The Bible says the moment she touched that shawl, she was healed. Now, we've talked about this. Uh, It wasn't her touching that healed her. It was the faith to go to Jesus that healed her. But she was healed instantly. And the Bible says sometimes people heal in, in progress, sometimes they're in it instantly. She knew something was different. And I'm sure her first reaction was to let go and she realized her body was different and she started slinking away. But you see, I believe in that instant, Jesus knew while she was healed, she wasn't whole. Something else needed to be done for her. Because you see, I believe Jesus realized while she had blood issues, she had other issues. And Jesus wasn't going to let her walk away without changing her life. So Jesus stops says, somebody touched me. And that's where Peter comes up and says, everybody's touching. He says, no, this time it's different. Someone touched me. And Jesus begins to look through the crowd. And, and I think He makes eye contact with this woman standing off over on the edge. And, and listen, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 47, it says, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling. She came trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she touched Him and how she had been instantly healed. You see, I believe she was so scared. Uh, She hadn't been in public. No one had seen her. And she thought, what are they going to do to me? Uh, And so as she realized she couldn't get away, she came to Jesus. And when she did, she fell at His feet. And this passage doesn't tell us. It said she told all. And in the Greek, the word there is she told her story. So I believe there at the feet of Jesus, in the middle of this distraction, the middle of this uh, opportunity for Christ, she poured out her heart. She said, Jesus, for 12 years. Jesus, for 12 years I hadn't hugged anybody. Jesus, for 12 years I hadn't kissed my kids. Jesus, for 12 years I've been unclean. Jesus, you don't understand what it's been like. Jesus, you don't understand how desperate I am. You don't understand how many issues I have. You see, while Jesus had already healed her physically, He turned around and He says something to her to heal her emotionally. You say, well, how can Jesus heal her emotionally? Because with His words, He penetrated to her heart and her greatest need. You see, I, I can't promise you Jesus will always heal you physically. He might. He promises us, In eternity, all of us are going to be healed. You may not be healed physically here, but you'll be healed eternally. But I can promise you, Jesus can heal you emotionally. He can heal you spiritually. And Jesus looked at that woman who was crying at His feet, and He said this, hearing Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go into peace. It's the only time Jesus ever calls anybody daughter in the New Testament. Why did he call her daughter? Because she wasn't part of any family. See what her greatest need was? She'd been alone. She'd been hurt. She'd been empty. She'd been broken. No one could claim her. She was unclean. No one wanted her as part of the family. You didn't go and tell everybody, oh yeah, that's our aunt, that's our mom, that's our sister, the unclean woman that lives out there. She had a center of her core. She was hurting emotionally. And so Jesus looks at her and with the sweetest words, says, you are now a daughter. Where you were an outcast daughter. And with that, I believe, healing began to come emotionally to her. I I believe it started when she started sharing her story. You see, that's why people need someone to listen to them. Because a lot of times when we share, healing begins as we share. And especially with God, I told you, in your relationship to God, as you begin to share your hurts, as you begin to share your issues and your feelings to God, He begins to heal you emotionally in that interaction. And I believe as she began to pour out her heart, all of a sudden she started feeling some healing. And that's when Jesus stepped in and said, "Daughter," And emotionally she was changed. But then he said, because of your faith, because of your faith to search me out, because of your faith in me, go in peace. And the word there is actually go into peace, which means you leave from here at peace. You now have hope. You now have a purpose. You now are somebody. See, I think he was publicly declaring for everyone around, she is not just clean, she is changed. See, all that would have never happened if it was just a distraction, if it was just an interruption. But you see, Jesus cares about us with issues. And I I said I love what Peter said because it's what so many of us would have said. Instead of looking for what happened, instead of looking for that opportunity, we would have said, oh, Jesus, everybody's touching you. Because you see, that's a reality for us this morning. Because on any given Sunday, all across... America, there are people that are bumping into Jesus. There are people brushing by Jesus. People having a, a, a quick encounter with Jesus. But you see, in this story, only one had the faith to stretch out and touch Him. Only one had the faith to be so desperate with their issues to say, God, here it is, I need You. Here, there's some that you may have had an encounter With Jesus this morning. Maybe while you were singing. He touched me. It it touched you. It brought up some emotions. You were singing healer. It it brought up some emotions maybe. And and you felt touched by it. You may even sense the presence of God. Sometimes on Sunday. Like they did in that crowd. Some of you may even sense. when he's doing something. You see God's hand. Those people in that crowd. Saw God healing this woman. You may even want to be a part of it. Wishing that maybe I could get some of that. Maybe I could have some of that. But you'll walk out of this room just as lonely, just as hurting, just as broken, with just as many issues as you walked in. Because you're not willing to stretch out. Because you're not willing to trust Him. Because you're not willing to move on faith. And give Him whatever it is you're holding back. You see, when you reach out and latch on to Jesus, even if it's just the hem of His garment, because I don't know anything about Jesus, I just want to grab all I can, just the hem of His garment, something happens. And we sing about it. You don't just touch Him. He touches you. And when He touches you, you're never the same again. See, if you brush up against me, you'll forget about it. You brush up against somebody famous. You may hold it for a while. These people say, I'm not washing my hand, you know, or so-and-so, touch this shirt. I'm going to put this shirt on the wall. And you may remember that for a while. I remember when I was a teenager, I had the autographs from Houston. Every Houston order there was. We went to some camp. I had all their autographs and then went and got cowboy autographs. And that was during the Landry days in the late 70s. And I had this wall of autographs. And I was so proud. I I beat my brothers and sisters when they would even come near it because I didn't want them to touch it. And I even had a little jersey there that had been signed by someone. It it was so special to me. Guess what? I have no clue where that is. It may be in the bottom of a storage because over time it didn't mean anything. It was writing on a piece of uh, paper or it was somebody, somebody touched. But listen, when Jesus touches you, when you have an encounter with Jesus, you'll never forget it. You'll never be the same. This woman was changed forever. You see, Jesus this morning, all He's asking is you reach out. And He'll interrupt this service. He'll interrupt your life. And He'll touch you. He'll touch your issues. He'll touch your hurt. He'll touch your pain. He'll touch your needs. And He'll trade them, making you a son or daughter for peace, mercy, Grace, forgiveness, salvation. Jesus says, "Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest." A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from somebody that listened to the podcast, and they were listening to this found faithful series and and she'd email and she said pastor i'm really struggling about faith because some of these churches say you don't have enough faith and some of these churches say if you only had a little more faith you you'd be healed or this would happen or this would happen And, and she said how much faith is enough how much faith is enough i answered her with the title of this message i said just enough to stretch out And grab Jesus. You see, that's all it takes. Just enough. Just desperate enough. Just enough to say, I know He can do something about it. And He can. Are you willing to stretch? Are you willing to trust Him? Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning. God, I I believe... There are a lot of us here with issues. Issues at home and at work and in our personal lives. Some with issues from years and years that they've never let go of. Father, this morning, give us the courage and the faith to just give that to you, to just trust you, just to take our hands off of it. Father, I believe across this room, you want to reach down, touch lives. Father, I believe there's some with spiritual issues. God, they've been religious. they bumped up against You all their life. But they've never really stretched out and touched You. God, I pray this morning they would overcome whatever it is, the crowd, the fears, the distractions. And right where they are, reach out to You. Father, give us Your presence this morning. God, touch our hearts in your name. Amen. We sing this song that we sang just a moment ago. The question is, not have you touched him, but has he touched you? Has he? Has he changed you? If not, don't leave these.